Hey everybody, welcome to the show show. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Jay, and uh, we are here to discuss the 2020 HBO series Lovecraft Country. I am joined today by Aaron. Hey We also got Adam. That's me. And we have Tony. Uh, if you want to find the show online, you can find us on Twitter at, at ArbCap Podcast. Nope, that's a different podcast. Uh, you can find <laughs> Oh man, uh, it's it's been one of those days. Uh, we have a Twitter, and I oh geez, I should have gotten better prepared for this. I can't remember what it is, but you can also email us at the TV show show. No, damn it, oh, I'm having a day, guys. <laughs> Uh, the show show TV podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me individually at Jay Suisponte. What about you guys? At Tenacious Aaron on Twitter, but I rarely check it. But you can send me something. I check it like once a month. You cannot find me. I live in secrecy. You can find Adam at Adam Dong. That's at A D D A M D O N G. That is not true. That is a lie. I... Based off everything that's been posted, it's clearly you. <laughs> How, how you, uh, you can find me on Instagram at tpinquite. And you can find the show at the show show pods. Uh, so before we get into uh, the, the show today, I, I wanted to open a question to the floor. Uh, what, what is your guys' experience with the source material for the source material? What's your guys' experience with the works of HP Lovecraft? I, I will say I have the ne Necronomicon uh, reprinting of his entire collective works. Uh, and I've read through maybe, uh, I want to say like two-fifths. Like I haven't read all of it. I read like some of the big stories that are well-known, Call of Cthulhu, stuff like that. And I, I read a lot of his really early short stories, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, but it... It does have quite a bit of, uh, you know, at, uh, at the time racial context that gets a little bit uncomfortable at times when you're reading it. And there's some mm -hmm. stories that are just sheerly based off the concept of race that you just are, when you're reading it now, it's like, this doesn't age very well. But the, the, the concept of horror that he develops with, like, madness and the unknown and uh, not answering everything, leaving you hanging and not fully giving you all the answers to his stories, I think is a very unique aspect and has had such a huge impact on the entire genre of horror since, you know, he, he, you know, wrote his stories. Also, he was an amateur writer. Like he, his, his stories were like, you know, submitted to magazines and pop, what was it the pulp magazines or whatever they were called back in the twenties. And, and he never actually was like published in the sense of like, you know, Hemingway or something like that. Yeah, I want to say I read that he was virtually unknown when he died. I think that's true. Yeah, I, I, I had very really in name and like I guess in the realm of pop culture. I don't not familiar with any of his works really. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the same. You know, I I was aware that he was a science fiction horror writer and was I was vaguely familiar with with Cthulhu, um, and I'm. Obviously not familiar with how to pronounce it, uh, but that, that was pretty, pretty I, I don't think, yeah, there's a couple of different spellings. I think that just like colloquially a lot of people refer to it as Cthulhu, but it's not actually supposed to be like pronounceable. It's like Cthulhu. <laughs> All right. Well, this show was, uh, was selected by Aaron, so I'm going to let you take away uh, a a description of what it, what is it that we watched? Absolutely. So Lovecraft Country is an American horror drama series, and it is developed um, based off of a novel of the same name that was released in 2016. Um, I have not. I did not know that. I thought it was just kind of like taking you know bits and pieces of Lovecraft short stories uh, and mixing it into this story using race because of how much race had to do with some of his stories. But in fact, there was a book written in 2016 that this series or this season follows, which is also the reason why there's been some speculation as to whether or not there will ever be a second season, because there's no more source material. There was only one book written by the author. Now, there's tons of Lovecraftian you know, short stories that could be utilized. But essentially, the series is about a young black man who travels across segregated 1950s United States in search of his missing father and learning dark secrets, plaguing a town 
which the famous uh, horror writer H.P. Lovecraft supposedly based many of the locations of his fictional tales upon. That person is, of course, Atticus Freeman. Uh, he is, you know, it kind of really follows his family and their tie into supernatural magic kind of heritage that is being practiced by this very, very white pale family on the East Coast, the, the Braithwaites. And, you know, each episode seems, or at least maybe, you know, some pairings of episodes, but there seems to be kind of like these short stories, like vignettes, that tell a piece of the story that tie into the greater story, but focus maybe on each, like kind of giving each character a little bit more development. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed this aspect of the show because it very much made me feel like like Lovecraft, how, how he wrote in short stories, that this was kind of like an homage to Lovecraft, that that these were short stories to tell in, in a broader universe to tell the full story of Atticus Freeman and his family. And, and essentially he's trying to save and protect his family from the Braithwaites and from magic. And there's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of different uh, aspects to it. But I think that's kind of gives an overall you know, view of what the show is about, right? Yeah, and our, our inciting incident is that Atticus receives a letter from his father, who he has a strained relationship with to, to begin with. Yeah, uh, He gets a letter from his father, Montrose, who says that he has gone to Lovecraft Country uh, and uh, he's he's been missing for, I think, a couple of weeks at the start of the series. So we start with Atticus searching for Montrose. Yeah. And he, he enlists his uncle George and his friend Letitia to travel essentially across Jim Crow America to find his father. And, you know, the first episode, right off the bat with the Sundown County and all that, that really was quite tense. Like the tensity, the tension of that first episode really grabbed me right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. The whole the whole concept of how Uncle George, his his work is that he he writes a guide for black people to. Uh, to travel safety, safely throughout the United States, telling them which towns to avoid, which specific restaurants and hotels are open uh, to to people of color at the time. And we, we have a very clear demonstration very early on just how dangerous it was for people to, for black people to travel. Yeah. And, you know, with one thing that's really always interesting to me is that based off history, the Civil war, we, we know about how much racism and discrimination and, you know, horrible things, lynchings and stuff like that happened in the South. But the North also had these same type sundown counties and the same kind mm -hmm. of treatment. It's just maybe not as prevalent in, I guess, our pop culture and in, in our, our discussions about race today. But but I thought that was another great thing. They're in like what, you know, Massachusetts and, and there's a sundown county, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I knew was it Vider, Texas is a, was a sundown county until the late, late 70s. In Texas. So like, I, I knew about those as a kid growing up, but I didn't know that they were outside the South. Yeah, the, the South gets a bad rap when you think of segregation. You think of, you know, the you, you think of Alabama and Georgia and Texas. Uh, but as this show also very clearly demonstrates, even in where most of our lead characters live in Chicago, Chicago is an extremely segregated city. The South is the South side is predominantly black. The North side is predominantly white. Uh, but you know, the North doesn't quite get that same reputation. I think unfairly. And, and uh, to, to kind of take a step further into our world, uh, there was a study that was done, I think in 2018 that the New York school system, uh, New York city school system is one of the most segregated school systems in the United States now. Yeah, I believe it. Not, not by law, but by de facto population location, so on and so forth. Whereas the South, we had the, the busing system, we had all these things to force integration that just didn't ever happen in the North. Mm -hmm. But I mean, what, what, what did everybody else think about the, the short story aspect of it? Anyone, anyone have any other thoughts about it? Well, yeah, I almost thought, uh, I guess the first two episodes are connected and then it's really switched gears in episode three. And I was like, is this like an anthology i didn't i almost thought it maybe it wouldn't even connect to the first story it was just going to be a different like okay first is like him and the magic with his family and the second is going to be this haunted house i'm glad it all connected but therefore 
at the start of episode three, I was like, oh, is this going to be like a mini anthology in the same first season? But I did like it. I'm glad they kept it up with the larger narrative, too, because I was I was worried I wouldn't like it if it was just all like four or five separate instances with the same characters. I, I also think it try, tries to kind of put you off kilter with kind of some of the ways that it it just radically shifts the way the storytelling is. Like, you know, whenever we meet me in, was it Daegu, Daegao? Um, you know, I'll just we just start 1950s Korea. And it's all about Jai, was it Jaya? I think it's her name. Jia, yeah. yeah. Jia. So, you know, and it's not until like almost, what, 75% of the episode that Tick shows up. You know, so now there's always kind of like a tie-in to Tick's family in every episode or to him in some way. But I, to me, it was a really interesting way of giving you a lot more character development about one character to tell just like their story and how it ties into the overall narrative that we're seeing play out. I, I've got to say it, it didn't really work for me. It The unevenness of it rubbed me the wrong way. I, I think I, I felt kind of similarly when we watched Doom Patrol that I was like, this show felt like it couldn't decide whether it was going to be Monster of the Week or whether it was going to tell a continuous story arc. And then it kind of half-assed both. Uh, but quick sidebar about Doom Patrol. My father-in-law has randomly just been watching Doom Patrol this past week. And uh, I had the the lovely experience of watching the episode where the... the um, the comic book man gives everybody an orgasm. Uh, <laughs> I had the great experience of watching that with, with him and my wife and my one-year-old son. Uh, so that was my awkward moment of the week. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awkward. Yeah. Uh, but to, to bring it back to, to, to Lovecraft Country, I think w- one of my big criticisms of the show was that it, it, the story didn't feel like it ever held together. It, it, it was it never felt convincing or, um, you know, I, I, I was never really sure of exactly what it was that anyone was trying to do. Like, can yeah. you explain that? Like, um, throughout the, I, I was never sure of what the driving force of what, what was driving the plot was, you know, we kind of have these vague, mentions of oh well christina braithwaite is trying to cast a spell but we're never really given a clear definition of what it is she actually needs to do that you know there's mentions that she's gonna the spell is gonna make her immortal well it's never really explored why she wants to do that and then what what she'll do with her immortality uh you know it, it it just felt like the the first probably Four episodes, maybe even up until episode six, where we go to Korea, uh, it held together better, and then it all just kind of fell apart in the last last four episodes for me. It really felt like it fizzled. Mm. See, I, I, I guess to me, number one, I had started looking into the book a little bit without reading it ahead, but it, uh, it had the book has eight short stories, and mm-hmm. that's how the book tells the story. Is through these eight short stories, and and they said that it was because that's they wanted to kind of bring to to the forefront the the way that H.P. Lovecraft told his stories, which were through these short stories that were all in a shared universe. So to me, that's it was a kind of like a meta aspect of the show. I think that I don't know. To me, it wasn't in fact until they get to Korea that I felt like it started to come together more. Like the the whole house one with with Letty in the house. Like it wasn't until the very end of that episode, it tying into how that guy was from the lodge of that region, and he was trying to, like, you know, build some type of trans-dimensional machine or something. I, I do agree that there's a lot of holes, but having read some H.P. Lovecraft, there's a lot of things that are just not explained. So I don't know if they're holes or if they're intentionally to be left not answered. Does that make sense? Right. I could, I could see that. But the episode with Hippolyta going through time, that one was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that one really caught me off guard. That was really, if, if any episode in this show is just starkly different from the rest, it's, uh, it's Hippolyta traveling through the multiverse. Yeah. I think my favorite episode was Dee's episode 
with the the twins chasing her throughout the town. Really? Those yeah. were successfully creepy. A little successfully creepy. creepy. The, the 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 whole concept of seeing Emmett Till and the impact on the community, knowing that the death of Emmett Till becomes one of the catalysts for the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Um, I thought that was really like well done. And I thought that just her, her, her terror, her emotional state, her being upset and it just chasing God, that music, you know, stop that knocking, stop that knocking every time it would, they would show up. You know, it very much reminded me of us. Um, like the the way the movements of the people and us were. So this was like to me, I was like, this is the most like George Peel episode in the entire series. Was was D's episode? I I don't know. I just really liked it. That that whole part kept me on edge. Uh, like her trying to get away from him, and the Montrose basically let them. You know, he didn't see it, but he was the reason why she lost her arm. She he stopped her from swinging at him. Absolutely. That was one of those face palm moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the multiverse one, but like that's introduces so many plot holes, that episode right there. Just like, yeah. I almost wish it would have, because before then, oh, I don't know. I guess he was a science fiction horror writer, but before then, it's all mostly fantasy realm, I would say. Like the monsters, the magic, everything's in the fantasy realm, and that introduces science fiction and then i also think introduces a lot of holes mm. the whole plot of the story i can see that would y'all would y'all think of the tulsa episode i think that's I uh, that's where a lot of the holes i think are uh, that that tony was describing uh because you know i, I understand that we're you know, you're, you're trying to make a, a television show that has suspense. And so you need to create a dire scenario with a ticking clock. But it didn't really make logical sense why, when you're going back in time to save the book, you choose to go back to just a couple hours before the massacre starts. Mm. You know, if Hipp- Hippolyta, she obviously has the power to transport them to any time, any place. Why not a week before? Why not a week before? Why not a different universe where maybe the massacre doesn't happen? Uh, and you know, but there, there are universes that may not have the book. Sure, but you know, if if there are infinite universes, then you know, maybe I'm Rick and Mortying too much. But you know, if there are <laughs> infinite universes, then it would seem plausible that there would be one with both the book and not the massacre. Uh, but even just throwing out the universe thing, like you know, you could even explain this with plots where okay the plan is we're going to go to the day before the massacre to give us 24 full hours to get the book oh no we're being attacked by the the evil lodge cops and uh hippolyta's off on her uh on her portal creation you know give us give us a give us an explanation for why they're there only a couple hours before the massacre I think it was just a vehicle. I think that the the massacre of Black Wall Street in Tulsa in 1921 is one of those things that a lot of, at least people in our generation, are not aware of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, I didn't know about it until I was just, like, read one of those random social media articles or, like, you know, the 10 worst, you know, events in American history or some shit like that. Um, and I read about it. And I think also, remember, whenever, I think when... When Donald Trump was doing his campaigning in 2020, there was like a big um, controversy because he went like on the anniversary of the massacre in Tulsa to a, a rally there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, like Christy, didn't understand why it was controversial. And so after watching the episode, she was like, yeah, I can, I can understand why it's controversial now. Um, just kind of getting a glimpse into what happened. And honestly, like that... I, I that kind of made it real. Like, oh my god, dropping bombs on the city. Yeah. Like that's that's nuts. Civilians dropping bombs on uh a black neighborhood. I think they said that thirty five blocks were destroyed in two days. Oh my gosh. The newspapers the newspapers the day after said that two there were two casualties, two white people. But the records seem to indicate that it's like seven hundred people died. In those two days, good God, that's that's horrible. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen it, but I I want to say that 
another HBO show, Watchmen, from this past year, also had a lot to do with the the Tulsa race massacre as well. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, it, it, I, I might be confusing things, but I want to say like that that's also something that's brought up in that show as well. Well, there, I know that the the Watchmen series has a lot to do with race. I had mm-hmm. I had I was watching like kind of like a synopsis of this show, just kind of from preparation for this. And the guy was talking about how, like, you know, H, th- that one is like kind of like from the 1950s forward. And then this one was kind of like the 1920s to 1950s, kind of different eras. But looking at one from the superhero perspective, one from the horror perspective. So. Um, but to, to bring it back to that, that episode, uh, episode nine, I think it was the the scene near the end where uh Tick's mother's house is on fire his his grandmother is burning right in front of Letitia and she's holding the book I for one th- thing that that scene just didn't it, it wasn't it, they didn't pull it off for me I it was almost comical the way that she was burning and screaming but I also I didn't understand why why the book wasn't burning because you know at that point Letitia has invulnerability so i understand why letitia isn't burning but what about the book i mean they had to go back and get the book before the massacre because the book was i thought it was destroyed in the massacre right well again i i think that we're getting into like questions about timelines and remember tick always went back and saved them remember because montrose and george told the story about how so it never burnt up it always was taken in the timeline so, so this was going to happen no matter oh, okay. what. So, so that's why I think the book is 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 got a magic seal on it. Remember, it was sealed up, so it couldn't be opened. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that it, it never burned up. They always went back to get it. They just didn't know that they did. Because remember, it's not until Tick kicks the bat that he mm-hmm. realizes he's the mysterious stranger that saved them and says, "I got you, kid." Okay, gotcha. That makes more sense. Or there's just a barrier because her clothes don't get destroyed by anything either. That's also true. It's also true. I think there she might be born. like a. And the bullets kind of like get close to her. They don't have to actually contact her body mm-hmm. when they're in the house. It's just kind of like bouncing off a force field. So, so it was inside that range where it's protected too. But that's the part where they should have kept it fantasy instead of science fiction because they should have just been like, okay, fantasy, y'all can go back. You have the blood, so you can go back in like memories of your ancestors, like. Tit, that could let Tick go back, and then his dad could go back, maybe, you know, to another relative's body. Like it should have been a fantasy magic spell transporting them back into like past people's bodies and living through that experience. And, and maybe like, like burying hide... the book, huh? Like burying the book or something, and then they yeah, know where like, it is. Yeah, that because the time travel, like first, like oh, it's a time machine. Like no, it's not a time machine. It's a multiverse machine. You're going into a different multiverse, and that brings in the problem of like, okay, so. They went into some other tick, went into his dad's universe in the past, and then affected that. Like, why does them going and changing things affect their own universe when they come back? Because it's a separate world, a separate, I mean, who cares if they mess up the timeline of that other world when they come back to theirs, is what I'm saying. Like, why does it even matter if it's just a multiverse instead of, like, the whole time travel multiverse thing messes up when you say there's different worlds, different universes, and then somehow messing with a different one's going to mess up yours. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, but Hippolyta said they were going back to their own world, their own timeline, whenever she was set. She remember what she was saying, like, we got to make sure it's going to our Earth, because she was like, I was on Earth 502. So she at least has okay. at least enough knowledge to know that to send them back. To, it is a multiverse machine. I missed but I guess, that part then. I think that, yeah, they did, in fact, go back to their own timeline. Um, and and that's that's why it's time, space, and world's machine. But also, that's, you're right, that's not really magic. Now we're getting into sci-fi, and that does seem a bit out of place in the overall story of what's going on. Also, no Cthulhu! Episode, but... <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, the episode was great. But No Cthulhu, to me, that was my big letdown, is that we the opening sequence, there's, like, all these, like, Lovecraftian monsters and Tick, like, you know, in the middle with war and, and monsters fighting around him. And <laughs> yeah, then... Jackie we, Robinson. Jackie Robinson. And we get 
no Cthulhu. We get no Dagon. We get none of the big, big monsters. The only thing we got was the, the, the Shagoth, which was the dogs from the beginning and the end, um, as actual creatures. Now, maybe the creepy twins might have been something from, from, that, from his writings that I just don't know about, but there are enough big Yogg-Saroth, things like that, that are, are written about in Cthulhu's or in, in Lovecraft's writings that I felt like there was a prime opportunity to bring in some of those and the old gods and the cults. And this did feel just like it was like taking little elements of horror, a few pieces, and it was more really about race exploration than Lovecraft. Like I think that it's a little bit more namesake and less actual his substance, actual content. Well, as a Jordan Peele production, we always knew that the real monster was going to be racism. You're, you're not wrong. Uh, that time period is pretty bad. But I don't feel like it was preachy. No, I don't feel like that either. It kind of made me realize, like, how, like, you're saying the Tulsa stuff. Like, yeah, like, similar story with me. You never hear about it in school. I only found out as an adult yeah probably similarly through social media or something so it kind of like i guess the show made me realize how shelter is not the right word but just like closed off from all of that part of history you are like you see it i mean one we don't exist in that world anymore because we're in, in the present but just like all this stuff you don't history really know about go find it yeah which for black people probably it's like they've been told about all that stuff their whole lives. And, but like, I think we're all white dudes. We're probably like, we never would have heard about most of these things if we didn't hear it from an outside source. I mean, d definitely not preachy, but it, at times it felt like it was going out of its way to demonize white people. I mean, I, I think about, like at the end where they take magic not from the brave whites or from all from all white, all white people. Yes, you know we're, we're we we can't trust white people with magic because in this in the, the universe of this show they are inherently evil and untrustworthy. And in I think a couple episodes earlier in the one focusing on D Montrose has a monologue talking about how. Anything that he accomplishes, anything that black people accomplishes, it will always be taken away by white people. I think that's become less true, but that also at a time was more true. Like, I definitely think that during the 1920s, during Jim Crow, there was a very strong hostility between the races. Oh, absolutely, and, and and we saw that manifest in the Tulsa episode. Well, and where, in the first episode, the Sundown. Yeah, true. You know, and because Tulsa was a you know, at the time it was the the wealthiest black community in America, and then like you talked about, it was literally bombed and raised by the by the white people of that town. So, uh, Oklahoma actually set up a um, a fund for reparations of the descendants of the Tulsa massacre and pay for their college to this day. Wow. So, so at least there's been some attempt to acknowledge this was horrible. It shouldn't have happened. And we're trying to mm -hmm. make amends, but yeah. And I, and I did some research on it. So that like, it was a collusion between the city and they deputized all these white people to go do this, mm -hmm. which again, the law being used in this way just makes me feel safe. Yeah. I think at least they didn't, like, even uh, Ruby looked down on her when she was uh, taking the potion to be the manager, the assistant manager of the store. Even she was, like, mad and looked down on her, on, uh, I the forget black the, well, yeah, the black reader name, uh, but she's just, like, she was mad because she had taken all these extra courses and tried so hard to get that job for all the, all this time, and that girl just got it. And she thought just because, I don't know, she probably initially thought because she was pretty and then she found out it's because the company had that, like they couldn't, they couldn't not hire a black person. So, and also the manager was a creep who wanted to molest her basically. But even she was just like, you got to work harder because all this other stuff. Like, so at least it wasn't 
only white people. Like, I feel like in that episode, at least a little bit of. Well, is that, and is, is that demonstrating that it's not so much race, but power structure that builds this animosity towards each other? Because as soon as she has power, she starts looking down on other people. You know, is, is this kind of like a once you obtain power, there is a shift. This was the classic Stanford prison experiment. Absolute power corrupts absolutely type thing. I, th- I think we did definitely see that when, when she became the manager and uh, the the shop girl demonstrated that, oh, you know, she didn't she didn't have any experience. She didn't have any training. And uh, Ruby just lost it. It kind of also maybe uh, helped a little bit. I don't know. It's probably like Nazi Germany a little bit or like maybe it showed a little bit how white people is just like hard to speak up even if you don't agree with it because i mean like it was ruby in there and then all the all her co-workers were trashing on uh the black woman who worked there and like she's like oh well she's a human but even she like a strong character she is she never really spoke up to defend her from any of her peers peer pressure's a bitch could could we talk a bit about the uh, the soundtrack of this show and the, yeah. some of the choices they made there? Uh, because I've I felt like the the orchestral score was fantastic, always uh, doing a lot of heavy lifting and setting the mood of whether it's you know trying to make us uh, afraid, trying to make us hopeful. I thought the score was great, but the choices of the uh, like the pop There's songs. A lot of Cardi B. Yeah, the the Cardi B <laughs> and the Rihanna and the Marilyn Manson. That didn't feel like it fit. I yeah. loved it when it was old timey songs. Yes, in the soundtrack. Yes. And I I I think it was in the episode that we were just talking about where Ruby is working at the store. Uh, they actually they play two different versions of Tutti Frutti uh, because that was one of those songs that it was recorded by both white and black artists. And when they're on the white side of the town, you hear the white version. And when they're on the, the black side of town, you hear the black one. And like that was that was a fun little detail. Yeah, no, that's 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 brilliant. And like I said, yeah, I agree with Tony. The, the old timey music, the t- music from the time period, was phenomenal. The orchestral score was phenomenal. Anytime that the hip hop was laid over, it felt out of place. Like I remember specifically thinking that whenever um, D and not D, whenever Atticus and Letitia are going down the elevator for like the last time into the water, um, like mm. it's just straight hip hop. You know, it's just straight up hip hop. And, I, and in my mind, I was thinking, okay, if, if, if we flip this, if this wasn't a, a story exploring race and it was like, you know, just a you know story exploring some like white culture 1920s, would heavy metal feel out of place here? I was like, yes, I still think it would feel out of place because the whole setting is supposed to be more old timey. Uh, and, and that feels, that just take, took me out of the fantasy, mm-hmm. you know? I think it's because they started it late too. Like, I don't even know what episode it was, but it just like started with uh, Christina Braithwaite driving the Bentley and then it's like, bitch, better have my money. Like, and that was like, I feel like that was three <laughs> or four episodes in. So it yeah. just like kind of caught me off. Like everything before that was more of the time period or yeah, like a, a part of the score, the OST. And, like, it just kind of, it just didn't fit with the vibe of the show up until that point, I guess, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Adam, you do you have any thoughts? I feel like the three of us have been talking quite a bit. I wanted to see if you had anything to to I, add I, in. I, I've been silent. Um, I agree with a lot of what y'all said. Um, J, Jay, for instance, I didn't really like the anthology aspect. I, I get that it's a homage. I just don't think it worked very well. And the way you put it was great. It it feels like they tried to do both, and it, neither one of them kind of ended up uh, succeeding spectacularly. Um, the way it told the story, it felt like it was trying to come off as as if it 
how do I phrase this? It was trying to come off as uh, it was random and like, oh, all this stuff is happening. And then it tried to tie it together. And it tried to tie it together into a main story arc. And I don't think that worked very well. That being said, um, I did enjoy the show a lot. Like, I I liked the plot. I liked the main story arc. And I, I think if they focus more on the main story arc and just progress through that, I would have liked it even more. Um, episode 7, probably my favorite, did feel a little random. I get that they built Hippolyta's character up uh, over the course of the previous few episodes. Then it's just like she gets teleported into this main character-like uh, story arc you know, visiting the multiverse and naming herself whatever she wants. And it was really badass, but it just felt out of place for Hippolyta as a character, in my opinion. Um, if they started building her from episode one, maybe, but it just showed her as a side character right up until George died, right? Which was like episode two or... I think coming into three is like when we really got to see, hey, here's Epilida. Right? Um, that being said, uh, what happened with Ticks or Atticus's uh, venture into the portal? We never really got to see that. We only got to hear about it, which was kind of strange to me. It was just like, it, it showed all this cool stuff happening with Hippolyta, and then Oh, Tick comes out. Okay. Wait, what? What happened? And we get to hear, it's like, oh, yeah, I visited the future. Uh, here's some stuff that happens. Here's a book I found. Okay, cool. Um, but I would have liked to see that and not just hear about it offhandedly, especially from who I saw as the main character, right? Like, Yeah, I, I thought they I were going to come back in the last episode. Or, well, yeah, before that he told about it, so that ruined it, but I thought it was going to be mm -hmm. one of those... Uh, where we see it happen, we see it short on his end, and then in a future episode, it fleshes it out more. I thought that, yeah, that would go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have liked to see that as well. But I think that it's because they didn't want to reveal it. Here, here's the thing. The one thing I really liked about this is that they didn't pretty pink bow it at the end. Atticus, in fact, dies. You know, yeah, what magic is taken from white people. Uh, and I thought that because the book had some differences, maybe there was an outcome where he doesn't die. But I kind of like that they killed off the main character, that that he wasn't able to change that part of the story. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, the studios, Hollywood, wants to give you that a pretty pink bow at the end of the story to make you feel good about what you just watched. And to me, it, it feels, I guess, a little bit more realistic, or maybe a little bit more, you know, Oedipus Rex, you, you know, fate is, is not avoidable. Um, that no matter what Tick did, the same outcome really does come to pass. It's just that it's not that she got immortality, it's that they took magic away from the people who were abusing it. And he still died. So, uh, to me, I actually thought that that was a good aspect of the storytelling. So, anybody else disappointed, upset that, that Tick was, was ultimately killed off in the end? No, I'll, I'll agree with that, that I think that was the right choice to make. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you guys, the the scene of his death, was that effective for you? Like, did it, did it, you know, was that a gut punch to see Atticus die? Because for me, it really wasn't. It felt like they didn't, they didn't set it up enough. Yeah, it was not as sad as I should have been, I guess. Like, it wasn't emotionally charged. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, really? I, I agree with that. Like it felt One, a little rushed. Piece that now I'm like confused about thinking back. I'm like, uh, so Letty gets basically thrown out of that tower. But so did she have invulnerability? Did they give her invulnerability before that fight happened, or did she nope. get it during no. the spell? Randomly think, lives. No, 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 no. I, so I, I've thought about this too. Braithwaite tests this earlier in the series when she puts the the, the curse mark or the mark of Cain on herself. And has those two white guys basically Emmett tell her 
like do the mm-hmm. things that was done to Emmett Till. Christy also raised this point that it was very, very powerful to see that being done to a white person. Like you hear the description how it's done to a black boy, but having seen it being done to a white person was really impactful. Just being mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're trying to to demonstrate how inhuman what they did to that little boy was, this was a great way of doing it without actually having the trauma of seeing it. But she she gets thrown into the water and she climbs out and all of her wounds are healed. And then she makes a statement that it it you know the curse mark will heal you from your injuries too. And so I think that she pushed her out and and then gave the curse mark and left because she remember she made the promise to Ruby. Ruby promised that I wouldn't hurt you or made me promise I wouldn't hurt you. She gets thrown out the window. And I think that at, before she goes to tick, not, we don't see this. This is me speculating. She puts the market cane back on to Letitia, thinking that she won't be able to change the outcome of what's about to happen. So she fulfills her promise to Ruby and then moves on. I could buy that. And maybe did that scene where yeah, she gets herself beat up, maybe think that maybe she does actually care for Ruby or something because Ruby was like, you'll never understand how I feel. Like you don't care. And then I feel like that's why she had that done to herself to see if experiencing it could make her care or feel about it. I think it's possible too. And I, I, I think the only reason why Ruby gets put in, and I I think Ruby's in a coma. I don't think that she killed Ruby. Um, Yeah. He's in a coma. Yeah. I think that Ruby's just in a coma at wherever she was at, but I, I think that she did care for Ruby. At least that's my thought. Cool. Speaking I of, no, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I just want to list some things that I really liked that we hadn't talked about. I just like loved. I mean, I, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with all the production value on these shows, but the, the clothes and the settings were just amazing. I was like, man, I wish I was in good shape so I could fit in these clothes. Everyone's wearing. They all look so cool. And then I really liked the. I'm guessing these are real speeches, not made up. But all the speech, like usually, if there's an important emotional moment. At the end of an episode, they'll put like an actual speech. Uh, yeah, like, it's the sound bite, I guess, that covers it instead of like a song or like a swelling orchestra. It's just like a speech, and I really liked those moments. Yeah, yeah 100% agree point. on on like the style and the fashion. And uh, like one thing that really stuck in my mind was when we're we're introduced to to Letty for the very first time in the first episode. Uh, where she shows up to the block party where Ruby's singing, and Letty is just wearing this beautiful dress that makes her look just absolutely spectacular. Also, can I just say this? That it was really good. Let, Letty didn't change her shoes when she went back to 1921, and that's what gave her away. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that that was pretty pretty smart of the grandmother to pick up on that. I ain't never seen shoes like that. I thought she could just sense like her grandson, like because he had the same blood, like in her belly, like because she's possible. magical or something. It's possible at first. No, I mean the shoe things make sense, and when they explained it, I thought that's how she knew because she was looking at her weird from the beginning. Well, any any other final thoughts, Jay? I think you were starting to say something, and Tony wanted to list his his final thoughts. Oh, it's gone now. I can't remember. <laughs> Adam, I pushed it out of his head. I am very excited to see season two of the show. If there is one. But it's more so to continue on the main story. I believe there will be one. Um, I think there will be because magic exists in the world. You could find a way to bring what's his name back. What is that cliffhanger at the end with the girl with the robot arm? Killing Brit Christina Beth. There's got to be more to this, right? This can't be a hard stop ending. Like, so I'm excited to see season two of the show. I think they could do um, it. Well, like The Leftovers was a one book. It was a one season. The first season was the whole book, and then they just really? worked with the author to make two more seasons. If they work with the author, I think that, yeah, I agree with you. They could continue it. And if they do work with the author, damn it, they better go into the fucking cult of Cthulhu. Because that is <laughs> that and madness are two of the biggest Lovecraftian themes out there. And, and like, people, before, before Lovecraft's writings, madness was really never a part of horror. Losing your mind. But the, the whole idea behind some of his writings were that, like, the things that you saw in his stories were so unimaginable that the human brain couldn't fully comprehend 
what is was experiencing, and you would be driven mad by by what you were experiencing. And that is a whole new type of fear to be be driven mad just by what your your brain cannot comprehend. And, and I feel like nothing in this part of the show or in this in this season of the show really touched on that madness. And that was something that I felt like that was a missed opportunity. Maybe it just didn't, it wasn't in the source material. It wasn't in the book. Um, and maybe that's the reason and that's, that's fine. But I would like to see more exploration of some of the bigger themes that Lovecraft did, not just race and scary monsters. I did like that. They didn't hold back on the gore in the show. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the more metamorphosis got me. I actually had a panic attack while watching one of those episodes. Oh. I, had to, I had to pause it and, and take a 30 minute walk and then come back. Yeah, I think for something that saved me from that a little bit was I watched most of the show on my phone uh, because my my little one year old baby, he's been going through a, a thing where uh, during his nap during the day, he will only nap while you hold him. So uh, three days a week. Uh, I'm, I have to spend a couple hours just sitting in a dark room holding a baby. Uh, so I watched a lot of the show on my phone while doing that. And I had my phone on the lowest, absolute lowest brightness setting possible to not disturb the baby too much. And because my phone screen was so dark, those, those metamorphosis scenes were really, really obscured. So I, I think if I had the brightness up, uh, higher, I don't know if I could have made it through that episode. It was pretty bad. To the extent there, even if it spoiled it a little bit for you, I I wanted to warn you. So, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, like, ew. I don't even want to start describing it. it was I, I don't, like, I, I, I'm a huge but fan of it was people. visceral, right? It was and visceral. That's something you never really got to experience reading Lovecraftian books. It's like, hey, this is what they're describing. This is what they're talking about. That's this true. is what it looks like. Visceral. And... The whole idea behind the Cthulhu mythos is that you see things and it causes you so much unimaginable terror that you are struck dumb. And that that actually reminds me, I I really liked what they did with the Shagoths in episode one, where it's like they see them, they freak out, but then later they forget. I think Mm -hmm. I don't think they needed to chalk that up to a spell. I think they could have just chalked that up to... Their brains couldn't comprehend it and it dumped it. Exactly, which is a Cthulhu trope. That's good. Good point. I didn't think about that. Um, but, you know, they wanted to really drive that magic stick home, which I'm okay with because it was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. Does the show make anybody else want an Indiana Jones HBO series? <laughs> yeah. The episode where they go, they go into like the museum and they need his map oh, and then they go yeah. and they get, they're in like a, it looks like a ship galley, not a galley, but like a ship. With, with oh. the, the Native American. Yeah. And the website. set design looked so cool. I was like, man, someone worked so hard to create all these little fake corpses and set all this, like it looked like someone did so much work for them to spend like, two seconds in there before they run into the siren room, talk to her for a little bit. And then the set gets destroyed. I was like, Oh, it's a bummer. But I was like, man, I want an Indiana Jones uncharted style, like series where it's like a treasure hunt. That yeah. remind that scene reminded me of uh, the Goonies. Like I, I kept thinking of, oh, yeah. uh, of that last part in the Goonies, whenever they find one eyed Willie's treasure, I was like, this is like the Goonies, man. Yeah, everything I was watching, I'm like, man, this whole like I would watch a whole series about just like this kind of stuff. There apparently Disney's working on some new Indiana Jones source material, so we will see. We will we will see what happens there. I've even heard rumors of a TV show without Shia LaBeouf. So <laughs> uh, before we get into ratings, uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to Uncle George, who is my favorite character of this whole show. Loved Uncle George, loved Courtney B. Vance. Yep. Uh, was really sad that he he died so so early on. Mm-hmm. His performance was great too. Mm-hmm. He was too pure, too pure. <laughs> Definitely true. So, um, also, can I just say that the sheer like mental stress that Montrose, being a gay black man in 
the 1930s, 40s, like that, you could, I felt like I understood why he was so broken and, and, you know, so dependent on alcohol. And so, you know, just broken, you know, like just the sheer amount of, of pressure, societal pressure, family pressure that he was under Mm -hmm. and to not be himself or to hide who he was. Um, And, and I thought that was a really interesting exploration. Um, and I, and I like just kind of seeing him getting to kind of be free for a moment whenever he went to the party with all of the the cross-dressing men. Like, that was the first time, I think, in the, I think it's the only time in the series that he smiles. Mm-hmm. So I thought yeah. that was interesting. The, I, I'd agree with that. I think they, they did a good job of developing that. And the, the scene in the Tulsa episode where he's explaining how he had to tell the the other boy i can't remember his name i think it was thomas um how he's like you know i I couldn't even speak his name until now and he's describing about how he had to reject him uh that that was really effective for me yeah yeah so well then are we ready to uh to rate this yeah let's get some ratings in let's see let's start with tony I really, I don't know if my expectations were slightly lower than they should have been, but I really like this show, so I'm just going to go give it an eight Chalutlus or whatever <laughs> the pronunciation is. <laughs> eight Chalulus from Tony. <laughs> that might eight be a hot sauce. Bottles. Chalula. <laughs> <laughs> give it eight spicy ketchups from Waterburger. Oh, that's great. <laughs> All right, how, about, how about you, Adam? Uh, I'm going to give it a 9.2, just to make it hard for you, Jay. Uh, I wanted to rate the show higher, but I felt like uh, it, just kind of like you had said earlier, it just the cross between having uh, almost like a semi-anthology series with like a main story series that has a, a continuing plot. It just didn't go well, uh, but it was still a very good plot. So 9.2. All right. 9.2 Cholulas from, from Adam. <laughs> uh, for me, there were lots of points in this show where I wanted to give it a zero, uh, where it, it really p- sometimes pissed me off and made me feel like they were just trying to, pander to the woke police uh you know with the it felt like sometimes but before the end when they eventually actually developed a mantra's character like we just discussed it felt like they were like all right we're gonna we're gonna hit racial prejudice we're gonna hit sexuality prejudice we're gonna hit gender prejudice uh they even threw in that uh I, i think the the current correct term is intersex uh indigenous person that they found in that adventure cave it just felt like they were like we're just gonna hit all these buttons uh but in in talking with you guys uh it's it's made me feel better about this show. Uh, and I think that with the, with the really cool visual style, with the great performances of the actors, I think I'm going to settle on a four and a half. So Aaron, last word. So I, you know me, Jay, that I'm, I'm a huge fan of anything meta. And, and to me, the, the short story way it was told was actually a huge plus for me. I, I see the criticism and I, I can appreciate that, but but I guess you know whenever reading a short story, there's a beginning, middle, and end for each little story, and, and I liked that. I thought that was very Lovecraftian. I felt like there was there were some misses. Um, I felt that the dis kind of like the disjointed aspect of it was intentional to kind of not let you ease into a sense of complacency as you're watching it to be constantly thrown out of whack with each story. And have to kind of recalibrate each time, and, and to me, I thought that was it was effective at keeping you off kilter. And if you don't like being off kilter, I can understand why that would not be something that would be positive. But I I feel like that was kind of like um, a, a way of keeping you unable to fully predict what's going to happen next or what the next story was. Like you know, Tony said, I thought that they were instantly going to go into what happened with Tick, and then they just don't. 
you know, because you, you kind of felt leaving like, okay, now we're going to see this next story because it's going to lead into this. Nope, you're not getting that story. So I'm, I'm going to go with what Tone gave. I'm going to give it an eight. I thought like it was well acted, well um, shot. The cinematics were phenomenal. It was very graphic, very, very gory. Um, but I felt like the, the soundtrack, there were parts that I just felt like it was out of place. It didn't really fit with, with what was being done. And it was only done because it's, you know, popular black music today or, or black culture music today. And, and I understand that, you know, those are very popular songs, but I didn't even know it was Cardi B or anybody like that. Not Marilyn Manson. I did recognize, but I also was like, oh, that didn't age well after everything that happened this year. Um, yeah. So I, I'm going to stick with an eight. I think it's a solid show. I think it's worth watching. I would recommend, especially if someone likes um, kind of the the sci- sci-fi fantasy horror <laughs> combination genre while exploring race in America. Um, but I felt like they could have done some things better. I felt like some of the execution could have been a little bit better. Um also, I felt like about a third of Tick's acting was just him making a puffy face um, throughout the entire show, which I felt like could have been a little. There could have been a little bit more, you know, expression of emotion in a different way instead of just him puffing up his face every time he was emotional. Um, but I'm mean, gonna. I, I feel like Ink Cthulhu is uh, is a uh, is <laughs> <Chalus> a <Lewis>. opportunity. <laughs> All right. Is, so uh, within... is Letty Sorry, go ahead. sister of Juicy Smouye? Yes. Have y'all seen that Chappelle show skit? I wanted to get that in there before. We I have in. not. If I you have haven't, I'll send that. a link out. Dave okay. Chappelle has the funniest bit on uh, her brother. I watched Undercover Brother this week, and Dave Chappelle's so fucking funny in that movie. <laughs> yes. Dave Chappelle may be the greatest comedian of all time. Eh, I wouldn't say that, but I like him a lot. <laughs> what was definitely uh, my favorite. He's a good one. I've got a strong place in my heart and always will for Mitch Hedberg. Those one-liners are some of my favorites. Definitely not high humor, though. Well, with a, with an eight Cholulas from Aaron, we have a combined score of 7.425, which puts Lovecraft Country just about... Uh, almost smack dab in the middle uh, sandwich between dark crystal age of resistance and comrade detective comrade detective above it uh comrade detective just below just below it okay very cool well i guess with that are we ready to spin to win let's do it what, what did you call the wheel last time you had a funny the, name the, for it. the wheel of randomonium yes the wheel of randomonium <laughs> i can't wait okay here we go Starting sharing of screen. Everyone see? It's loading. I can't see it yet. Okay. Well, it says that it's sharing. Let me try it. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. Jay can see it. Wait, did you? Oh, there we go. I see it now. All right. So we we have on the wheel. Now, we had talked about this last time, so I already kind of proactively removed myself from the roster since... I had both Comrade Detective and Lovecraft Country. I felt like if you get two shows in a row, it's fine. But at the third one, you should sit out and let the other people have a shot at it. Um, so we have Watchmen series from HBO, Staff Flats Flats from HBO Max, and One Punch Man from, I believe, Netflix, right? There's a couple places to watch it. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to do a, a shuffle. Do a couple shuffles so that there's no sense of impropriety. And does any, anyone want to tell me when to click spin? Now. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. So the first season of One Punch Man. Yes. 12 episode run, 20 episodes per, or 20 minutes per episode. Oops. We're on 22, but, you know, the intro doesn't count. Well, since since you uh, suggested this, Adam, you want to g- give me a quick description of what it is we're going to watch? Okay, so it's a satirical take on all uh, shonen anime. Define shonen anime. Uh, it's like a focus group almost. Let me let me get you the official definition. Yeah, because there's a there's a a 
magazine in Japan called Shonen Jump, which is kind of like a monthly or weekly magazine or comic strip where different comics are printed. And a lot of those have turned into pretty popular animes. So textbook definition would be a genre of Japanese comics and animated films aimed primarily at a young male audience typically characterized by action-filled plots. So if you think of Dragon Ball Z, Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, Fairy Tale, there's plenty, right? Okay. Those would be shown in anime. And this is a satirical version. So it's almost it's, slapstick in nature of that. It's it's kind of satirizing the genre and poking fun at it while yeah. also being one of the genre. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I've heard good things. I've heard lots of people rave about this one. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Will be our third anime all time. The first one was Cowboy Bebop. What was the second one? Uh, Fooly Cooly. Fooly Cooly, that's right. That is right. I can't believe they made two seasons after that. All right, we'll let everybody catch you next time. Come on back for our review of One Punch Man. Adios. Uh, Later. Goodbye.